Good morning. Good morning. My name is Don Doe. My son is the pastor here. Do you remember him? He's been gone all summer. There he is, right there. Woo! Payback. It's payback time. When I was had him on staff, I used to make him preach on the week on the Fourth uh, of July, Labor Day, and that kind of thing. So now it's payback time. I'm so glad to be here with you, though. On on this. Um, thank you. Don't forget me. Okay. <laughs> On this day, I get to close out Exodus. I get to exit Exodus. And they only left me with six chapters to cover. Aren't you glad that Labor Day is a holiday? We have all through Monday. I'll uh, I'll try to go a little quicker than that. As you've gone through the book of Exodus, you leave with, um, you know, Moses went to the mountain to bring the Ten Commandments down, and I think Tyler brought in the whole thing with the idol of the golden calf and all that. Here's a question for you. How old was Moses about that time? Who said that? Good job. 81, 82, 83. 80 somewhere in there. He's about 80 years old. I mean, I, surely there's uh, at least one person here 80 years old. I look like it. I'm not there yet. But when I think about climbing the mountain and doing all that and bringing all that down, that takes a lot of work for an 80-year-old. It takes a lot of work for a 40-year-old. And it's amazing to me that Moses was able to accomplish that. So this message is for old people. You have an old pastor talking about an old guy named Moses. And um, and it's, so it's so I came across this story thinking about old people that I love. A guy is talking, he says, I'm 83 years old. I was in the McDonald's drive-thru this morning. The young lady behind me leaned on her horn and started mouthing some ugly things because I was taking too long to put, put my order in. So when I got to the first window, I paid for her order along with my own order. The cashier must have told her what I'd done because as we moved up, she leaned out of her window and waved to me and mouthed, thank you, thank you. Probably feeling a little embarrassed that I had replied with her rudeness with this great show of kindness. When I got to the second window, I showed the server both receipts, and I took her food, too. (laughs) Now she has to go back to the end of the line, start all over again. And he closes with this. Don't blow your horn at old people. We've been around for a long time. Don't blow your horn at old people. I think that's what Moses would tell these folks, especially when they were going through this whole process and his brother says, you know, we are melting all this gold down and all of a sudden it just formed into this calf. And so we had to start worshiping. And Moses is going, really? Really? You think I'm believing that? I wonder what Moses was thinking. Forty days and forty nights up on Mount Sinai to get the 
Ten Commandments. Speaking with God. And as he starts to come down, God says, you better get down there. And the people down there, somewhere along in those 40 days, are going like, who was that guy again? That, that, you know, that guy, was he like on sabbatical or something? Because we haven't seen him for a long time. And they're going, well, what was his name? I don't even remember his name. I don't know, but he hadn't been around for a while. We better just kind of take things in our own hands. And so they start melting down the gold. And before long, it says they break out in revelry. And they're worshiping this golden calf. And it's like, Moses, if you're not here with God, we're going to make up our own God. And Moses is coming down with these twin tablets. And he sees the people in breaking the very first one about having other gods before him. And he just, his anger and his frustration, he just throws them down. And they break and shatter and he goes and he yells at them. He, he, he brings uh, all the gold together, melts that back down, makes them drink it in their own water. And, um, and God's in his ear going, Moses, I told you, I've had it with these people. I have had it with these people. I've had it with them. I'm going to just zip them all out and start again. We're going to start with you. Moses goes, whoa, 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 whoa. God, these are your people. They're stiff-necked, rebellious. I can't do anything with them. Moses spends some time in the 33rd chapter interceding with God for his people. It's amazing. God, don't do it. I think we can use these people. We can bring them to repentance. And I love in the third and fourth verses of chapter 33, God says, okay, I'll tell you what. If these people are going to change, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send you up to the land full of flowing with milk and honey, the promised land. And I'm just going to tell you this. I'm sending you, but I'm not going to go in your midst. If I go, I'm going to consume them on the way. Now, some people think that's God's anger. That's really God's grace because they're so sinful and rebellious at this time. It would be like mosquitoes hitting the bug zapper every time they're with them. I'll consume them. So I'm going to send you up. They're stiff-necked people. When the people heard the news, they mourned. When the people heard that, yeah, we're going to the promised land, but God's not going with us, they mourned. First moment of, of repentance and of contrition in their heart. I think when Jesus is uh, going through the Beatitudes, he starts off with, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Follows it with, blessed are those who mourn. And in today's culture, today's church, we don't talk a lot about that. We don't talk about being mournful for our poor in spirit, our sinfulness, our rebellion. We, we like to think ourselves as, as broken. You know, we're, we're victims of this broken life, and we're just broken. And, and so we spend a lot of time talking about the love and the, and the goodness of God, which is, is all there. We're going to talk about that tonight. Today, probably tonight, the way I'm going, but today. And, uh, and they're mourning. And you know, in that mourning, God's attention is captured. He says, blessed are you when you recognize we're not just broken. We're like these people. We're stiff-necked and rebellious. We've made our own gods up. And usually it's about us. And... And the only time God starts to move back in our midst is when we repent. 
You see the movie, um, The Jesus Revolution? Have anybody seen that? So you guys that are old like me, this is old, it's old timers day now. The old people, you remember the Jesus Revolution, the Jesus Movement? If you're especially if you're from California and all the you know the hippies become Jesus. It's a great movie. And and it's the move of God. If you live back in the 70s, like like I did, great move of God. And it's it's recounting that whole thing. And if you haven't, I just I sat there and cried mainly because of the music was nostalgic and I saw my old Mustang. And I just and and I I told my wife this girls just look better in bell bottoms it, that and that kind of moved my heart too but it's this, this mournfulness that results in revival or the Asbury revival that started again if you're if you're a church person you know about that and it doesn't start with anything other than repentance and here these people mourn God's attention is captured and He says okay I'm going to go with you but I'm 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 not I'm not going to go with you. I'm just going to send you. Lord spoke to Moses face to face in verse 11. Moses goes out. He has a tent. They haven't yet built a tabernacle. He goes out to this tent, and there's where he meets God. And God comes to the tent and speaks to him like a man with a friend in a conversation. I love this so much. And he just pours out his heart to God, and he captures the attention of God. And God says, okay. Um, I'll go with you. And Moses says in verse 15 of chapter 33, if your presence doesn't go with us, don't bring us up from here. God, I don't even want to go to the land of milk and honey. I don't even want to go to the promised land if you don't go. It will do us no good as a people if we have all the blessings of this promised land, but we don't have you, and our relationship is broken. We need you, and we want you. And God restores that relationship because he sees favor with Moses and he goes, I'm going to give a relationship to the whole nation because of the favor and the, mediate, the mediating that, that Moses does. Standing in the gap starts to point to Jesus, the great mediator who stands in the gap for us, who bridges our way to, to God. And, and in that process, as God starts to reveal himself, I love this, God, God hears Moses say, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. You're going to go with us. Show me. I want to see your glory. I'm going, Moses, you've seen a bush burn that didn't get consumed. You saw the Red Sea part. You saw Egypt fall to its knees. The greatest leader in the then-known world, Pharaoh, fall to his knees. You've, you've seen manna from heaven. You've seen quail from heaven. You've seen water from a rock. You've seen a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud. What more do you want to see, Moses? I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. God says, you, you can't handle my glory. You see my glory? It would be like, I don't know if God prophesied to him, it would be like watching Indiana Jones. You remember when the Nazis opened up the Ark of the Covenant and they melted? That's what's going to happen to you. I'll tell you what, you go in the cleft of this rock and I'll hide you with my hand back there and I'll pass by. And like a comet with a tail, just the tail will go by and you'll, you'll be... You'll, you'll You'll catch a glimpse of my glory. You can't handle it all. You'll catch a glimpse. I'm going for it. I'm going for it. He's all excited about it. Show me your glory. God says, I'll tell you what. Let's go back up to the mountain again. I've got these tablets I'm going to give you again. We're going to try this all over again. And we're going to send you back down. And we're going to start over. And I'm going to be your people. And you're going to see my glory in that way. I love, I, I love that, that Moses wanted to see the glory. But he, he never really describes what that's like. 
In chapter 34, verse 5 through 8, we start to get a glimpse of that glory. It says this. Chapter 34, verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord descended in the cloud. There's something about the glory of the Lord and, and the cloud throughout the Bible. Um, a theological term for that cloud is, is the Shekinah, the Shekinah glory, and it's often described as a cloud. I don't know what color cloud, I don't know the substance of the cloud. It's the cloud that, that, that accommodated the, the Israelites through the wilderness. A pillar of day, a, a pillar of fire at night. It's the cloud that, that, um, that hovered over Mount Sinai as God literally spoke audibly to Moses and to his people and then who, when God gave them the Ten Commandments, it came out of that cloud. The cloud that stood at the, at the tent of meeting with Moses that signified that God's, God's in, in residence. It's a cloud that filled the temple, Solomon's temple later on in the Old Testament, so much so that the priests ran out because they are fearful of what, what they experienced with the presence of God. It's the smoke that, that came into the temple in Isaiah's vision in chapter 6. It's the, it's the cloud that, like a cloud, that overshadowed Mary when she conceived the baby Jesus. The cloud that was at the Mount of Transfiguration when the radiance of Jesus was shown to his, his disciples. It's it's the cloud that when Jesus returns again, will come in the cloud. It's the glory. It's the Shekinah glory. I, I've, I've never experienced... The closest thing we can do that today is we get fog machines in some of our churches. That's the closest we can get to the, to the glory of what God's all about. But God says... I want you to have glory. I want you to have the heebie-jeebies and the, you know, the little goosebumps that come from all this and the emotions that. But I want to do more. I want to proclaim to you my glory. I want to, I want to give words to it. It's hard to pass down emotions. It's hard to pass down that experience. It's hard to compare one experience with the other. But the words. I don't know the, I don't know the glory of God like Moses had where I'm, I'm so close to it that I have to be hidden by his own hands or I will shrivel up in his presence. But I do know the Lord that is revealed to Moses in these words. One of the greatest passages of Scripture, not only in the Old Testament, but even used some in the New Testament, comes in these next 51 words in chapter 34, verse 6 and following. It, it is so special that Moses refers to it more than once. He refers to it in Numbers. Nehemiah refers to it. David refers to it a couple times. Joel and Jonah and the Old Testament prophets referred to it. Jeremiah, Daniel, Nahum, all of them are, are laying out this foundational statement. Why is it so big deal? Why is it such a great statement? Because it's the only time in all of Scripture when God proclaims about himself. It's his autobiography. It's him saying, you want to know my glory? You can experience it, but let me just tell you the words to use. That no matter what happens and where you are emotionally, these words never change. They're always true. 
and he starts laying them out before them. He proclaims this, the Lord, the Lord God. The Lord, the Lord God. In, in, this, in these 50, 51 words, he gives a, a designation. He gives his attributes or description, if you want D words. And he gives expectations or desire, if you want to stay with the D words. I just throw those D words to let you know I went to seminary, and that's what, we, that's what old preachers used to do. So I didn't put them in there because I don't want you to think I'm an old preacher. But <laughs> Here's his designation, Lord, Lord God. Yahweh, Yahweh El. Only time it's phrased quite like that. Yahweh, Yahweh El. Yahweh, if you remember it in your study of Exodus, that's how God reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush. I'm sending you to Egypt that we can break free. Well, who will I say sent me? Tell them Yahweh. Tell them I am. Tell them I am sent you. I am that I am. And now he repeats it. Yahweh, I am. I am El. El is a general term for God. Yahweh specific. I am. Moses, I'm, I'm, I'm emphasizing this again. I'm the same one that you, that you talked to at the burning bush. I'm the same God. I've been with you this whole time. I've not left you. And I just want you to know, it's, it's I am. It's eternal. There's, 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 no, there's no dependence on God for his existence to anyone else. We depend on our existence. We depend on God for our existence. God doesn't depend on anyone. He's eternal. But he's I am. He's, he's the now. He's the forever now. He's not, the, he's not the I was. He's not I hope to one day be. He's I am. Moses, everywhere I go with you, everywhere I go with your people, everywhere I always reveal myself, every time in the clouds when my glory comes, it's now. I'm with you now. I'm here now. You can trust in me. You can have certainty in me. You can have faith in me. Lord. Lord with uh, capital letters. Capital L. Capital O. Capital R. Capital D. Every time it's all caps. In some versions, I think the New American Standard is very good about declaring this. It means Yahweh. Capital L with little letters means Adonai. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D means Yahweh. Actually, Y-W-H-W. We didn't even have the consonants. We kind of say Yahweh because it thinks, we think it sounds like that. But we don't really know because it was such a sacred term of God that they didn't even repeat his name in those days. They thought it was too holy for sinful people to say his name. So they inserted Adonai, which is often what the case is, capital L with little letters. If you can just remember who I am, catch a glimpse who I am. The glory, the, the glory that you're seeking is in, is in me. Hebrews says... How do, I, how do I please God? Well, first of all, I, I believe that he is. If I could just get a hold of who he is. Now, in our culture, we're, we just want to know who we are. We, we, we love who we are. We love to do uh, personality tests and strength finders and the Enneagram. And I was at a church, and we had a whole series on the Enneagram. And it was, so, it was one of the most well-attended series, and, and the pastors were all excited because there's one of the most well... I said, of course. We're talking about everybody's favorite subject, themselves. <laughs> Don't call Kevin Bryant. Siri. 
Never trust old people with technology. While we're... <laughs> Can I just, maybe it's just me, but the more I study myself, it's kind of depressing, really. It's kind of depressing. The more I focus on God, it's glorious. And I can see myself so much better when I understand God, that he's my creator, that he's the one that, that walks with me, that he's the eternal now in my life, that I can trust him. And so Moses, let me just give you the designation, Yahweh, Yahweh El. And then he gives attributes. Here they are. Merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiven iniquity and transgression and sin. Merciful, merciful. Some versions say compassionate. It's a great word. Aren't you glad he starts with that? God says, I just want to tell you, if you're going to get to know me, first and foremost, know this, I'm merciful. I'm compassionate. The little term is, is hesed, which is merciful, compassionate, loving kindness for generations and generations out of a covenant, that's all. It, you, we don't even have English words, so let's just say merciful or, or compassionate. It, it's, it's the idea what David talks about. It's like a father with a child that he loves and he gives himself to. It's like a mother nursing her child. It's that kind of love. It's that kind of passion. When your, when your pastor was a, a little baby, uh, my wife was carrying him out to the backyard and was going down the steps and fell. And as she was falling, all she could think of is, oh no, I've got to, I can't let him hit. And she, she stretched out her arms, and she caught his head, and then, boom, she took the brunt of the fall. She had bruises and scratches on it, took the brunt of her fall and rolled over. We, we often talk about the athletic ability of our family. It comes from, comes from Lori, let me tell you. She, she stretched out and, and held him. It, it, she'd sacrifice her own life for the safety. That's mercy. That's compassion. By the way, if you ever get frustrated with your pastor and you wonder what's the matter with him, <laughs> his mom about dropped him on his head when he was a baby. And, but um, <laughs> that's mercy. David says he knows our frail frame. He knows we're like dust. He remembers we're like dust. And he treats us with mercy. And he treats us with grace. We think grace is just a New Testament term. It's, it's a term used so, that comes to fulfillment in New Testament, but it's used like 13 times in the Old Testament. Gracious, 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 gracious. Uh, when Jacob was meeting Esau, and he was a, wanted to describe his riches and his flocks and his, his success in life, he said to Esau, his brother, the Lord has seen fit to be gracious unto me. I got what I didn't deserve. David, when he's praying for his son who was about to die, said, maybe the Lord will be gracious. gracious grace is something that, that we receive when we, we don't really deserve it. You take mercy and compassion, you take grace. The best way to look at it is, is in, a, in a juxtaposition with, with justice. Justice is getting what we deserve. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Grace is getting something that we can never deserve. So if you're driving out of, out of, from church and trying to head to the restaurant and beat, beat the Baptist to the restaurant or whatever, and you, and you happen to speed a little bit and you get pulled over and you get a ticket, that's justice. 
you deserve it. But if the cop says, uh, I'll tell you, what, I'm only going to give you a warning today. That's mercy. But if he gives you the ticket and says, you were not only five miles over, 10 miles, you were, 20, you were 30 miles over, you're going to have to go to court. I'll see you in court. And you go to court, you go to face the judge, and you see the policeman that, that gave you the ticket, and you, uh, you, walk, you walk up there to get your, your punishment, and all of a sudden the policeman runs up to the judge and says, whispers in his ear, and the judge says, well, the officer just said he's going to pay for your ticket. And if he's going to do that, I'm just going to expunge it from the record, like you never did it. And oh, by the way, we're both getting together for dinner tonight. Would you and your family like to join us? We'd love to have you in our home. That's grace. It's more than you ever deserved. It's more than you could ever conceive of ever happening. God said, that's me. That's me. Long-suffering. Aren't you glad? I, I love the, the translation, slow to anger. He's slow to anger. Aren't you glad God's not like us and just needs anger management classes? He's slow to anger. Abounding in goodness. His goodness just overflows and overflows and overflows. If you've been in church long enough, you know how to fill, the, fill in the blanks here. God is good, and all the time. Don't you get tired of hearing that? That's, kind of, that's so true, though. Why is that such a big deal? Because His goodness abounds. It overflows. It never runs out. It never dries up. There's never a drought of His goodness. And His truth is the same, abounding in truth abounding in truth so that what he says is true it never changes heaven and earth may pass away but my word never passes away same yesterday today forever true we live with certainty because his truth abounds no matter what happens in our world in our culture what changes and doesn't change he still his truth stands and keep in mercy for thousands. Forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Don't have time to talk about all the difference between those three. Just know this. God loves to forgive. He loves to forgive. He doesn't look at your life and go, guess i got to forgive them again. Oh, not you again. He loves to forgive us. By no means clearing the guilty. There's justice like we talked about. He has every reason to be angry, but he's long-suffering. He, there will be a day when he must judge Injustice. He, he doesn't annul justice. He keep, that's part of his character as well. His holiness demands justice. But he's slow to anger. He doesn't want to get there quickly. Peter says, in fact, that um, he, he wishes that no one would perish, that all would come to repentance, that, he, that he's long-suffering in, in the way he treats us. But there'll come a day. There'll come a day when, when our, our iniquities are, are judged. And uh, justice comes true. And, and Jesus, who, uh, who stands in the gap for us, will be the difference between receiving what we deserve and receiving what we don't deserve. So that either Jesus pays the price or we pay the price. And the, the controversy there is that it, the iniquity of the fathers and children um, from third and fourth generation, what that doesn't mean is if... if a dad sins, then the child has to get punished for what the child doesn't deserve, or that the child is going to be constantly doing exactly what the... It's, it's not going there. What it's talking about is the, is the connection 
that there's consequences of our sin. So that if you if you rob a bank and you're drunk and you're and you have an accident and you're you get a broken arm, it doesn't mean if you come to Jesus and at by six o'clock in the afternoon that your arm will no longer be broken. It, it, there's consequences of our sin. There's consequences, unfortunately, that are passed down to generations. Think about that. Abuse, often from horrible choices of parents or grandparents, affects it further down. Abandonment, absence of parenting that is affected down there. But balance that out with this truth that his mercy, his forgiveness, his grace, all that we talked about goes to a thousand generations. In, in Hebrew, in the original language, it's a thousand generations. So that no matter how bad the consequences of sin might be, his grace, so much greater and grander than that, thousands of generations are affected by his goodness and grace. His attributes are laid out. And as they are, we, we start to see how Jesus comes into this, that Moses, in his, in his leadership, is a is pointing to this, this greater, greater person that's going to come, Jesus. So that when, when Moses is the, is the stand in the gap with the interceding between God and man, when, when Moses is the one who's the mediator, there's, there's one who's coming who is the greatest mediator of all. In 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul is talking, he says, there's one God, one mediator between God and man. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom at all. All these attributes of grace and forgiveness and long-suffering and goodness and truth are, are ours because of Jesus standing there and saying, in the same way you found favor with Moses and blessed his people, Father, find favor with me and use my righteousness for his church, for his people that come. Show me your glory, Moses. Show me your glory. I want to see your glory. Show me your glory. And I'm like, Moses, I'd love to see your glory as well. And the New Testament says, well, you can. John 1.14, and the Word became flesh. The Word that was laid out of God in his autobiography. The words that are laid out as he describes all his attributes. All those words come to fruition with a capital W word that John says, this Word has existed before time. Before creation, this word, capital W word, is Jesus, and he becomes flesh, and he lives among us, he dwells among us, he, he sets up his, his house in our neighborhood, and we beheld his glory. We beheld his glory. As amazing as it would be to sit between a rock and have a, have a hand hold back the, the, the majesty and the, and, the, and the power of God, to behold something like that in the field, to just know Jesus is to behold his glory, that he would love us like that, that he would send Jesus for that. The glory as of the begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We find all this, the snippets of knowing God in Exodus, bringing to fulfillment in, in Jesus. Finally, there's an expectation. Verse uh, Verse 8, so Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Later on, he's, he's called to obedience 
In fact, the, the book ends with the, the last few chapters. They're building the tabernacle that was instructions were given in previous chapters of Exodus, which you probably looked at. And now this stiff-necked, rebellious people, and this Moses, who has who had some questionable moments of leadership himself, are now obedient to what God has laid out, so much so that they're building the house that he can reside in so that his people will always be known as the people of God. And they, they follow his instructions to the letter. And as you read those last few chapters, you'll find more than once, and Moses did exactly what he was commanded. And Moses obeyed the command and did this, and they built everything, always obeying the command. Obey, obey, obey. What's the expectations of Moses? Trust. He worships. No other gods before you. No cap. I worship you, and I obey you. And with that, God continues to stay with his people. What's his expectations for us? Trust and obey. No other gods before him. I worship you. You're the number one in my life. There's nothing else that even comes close to who you are. I bow down before you. I worship you. I give my heart to you. I surrender to you, your God. And I will obey. I will follow. And when I mess up, I'll get back up and get forgiven. I know you love forgiveness. I know you love to forgive me. I'll get back up and I'll keep going. I'll trust and I'll obey. I trust the word, W, capital W. I obey his word that he gives in obedience. And with that, there is a wonderful promise that he gives to Moses and in turn the people. And as I read this, I'm wondering, I wonder if he'll give this promise to Desmond here. I wonder if he will. When your pastor's coming back from sabbatical and kind of a new season, it's a fresh season in his life. It's a, in turn a fresh season for, for this church as you, as you just look to him. What God, God, what are you going to do now? I wonder if he would give you this same promise. Listen to it from verse 10. And he, God, said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as not, have not been done in all the earth nor in any nation. And all the people among you will see the work of the Lord. For it's an awesome thing that I will do with you. Could it be in this next season that the Lord wants to do some things with this congregation, with this this part of the body of Christ, that others from the outside would look and see and say, you know what, God's with them. God's there. Look at the work of the Lord that's going on in their midst. Could it be that at this time in history when we question what's going on and how's going could it be during this time that he raises up his church to do things that have never, ever been seen on earth? or in any other nation? Could it be? The only way we'll know is if we trust and obey. I'd like you to stand with me. The worship team is going to come and sing another song. Let me just read this one more time as a, uh, as a promise. 
God says to you, Desert City, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels such as never been seen or done in all of earth, not even in any nation before you. Now all the people, North Phoenix, Scottsdale, South Phoenix, Central Phoenix, Glendale, all of Arizona, all the people among you will see the work of the Lord. It's an awesome thing I want to do. Amen.